Hello and welcome to Movies, the podcast, changing gears in my head from the Hollywood Fishbowl. I am joined by my co-host, Naomi Beatty. Thank you for coming back to the program. <laughs> Hello, I'm glad to be back. And I am joined by my sidekick, ah, Jesse Kester. Here I am, kicking all the sides. As, <laughs> but you can't do that. You can't say that you, coast, that you host all the co's. That's true. So I would never say that. <laughs> Thank well well I feel very marginalized right now. The topic, the film this week is Revenge of the Nerds, the 1984 comedy. Yes, the original. The uh, it is an original in every sense of the word. And I was wondering if if you would be so kind as to just give us a quick overview of the plot, whatever. Sure. Uh, the quick bird's eye view of this movie is oh, hello is. Uh, a couple of guys go off to college. While they're there, they discover that they're nerds. They lose their housing and and end up uh, having to start a fraternity that competes with the jock fraternity in order to keep their housing. Now, is this a thing that happens in actual colleges where fraternities compete for existence? Do they have those councils where the jockiest jock gets to vote down? Yeah, so... This was not my experience at all. I don't okay, know if you went I was to a more... Say, did you go... You went to college. Were you in a fraternity? No, no we, okay. we didn't have any of them on my campus, oh, actually. Okay. There were no... Interesting. Uh, I went to college on a campus where we did have a Greek system. I was in a sorority. I can tell you that they there is a Greek council. It's mm-hmm. not quite... I mean, obviously, this it's portrayed in this movie for laughs, right? So it's not exactly like that. Wait, are you saying that there might be some <laughs> elements of this film that aren't literally interpreted, that it's exaggerated and heightened for comedic effect? That is what I'm saying. Oh boy, I gotta go rewatch it now. Yeah. Turns out we were looking at two different films. <laughs> I thought it was a documentary. Uh, no, but um, I did think they, you know, took a lot of creative liberties with what uh, sororities and fraternities are are actually like, which is fine. It was it was the '80s. They were they were making a very specific type of movie. That's yes, yes. Is this a movie that shows up in the '80s? This it feels very '80s. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't. I, I mean, I would. I haven't. Um, you know, run through all the movies that were released in the '80s, but I do think that this was typical of a of like a there's comedy. This, in yeah, the there's 80s. kind of that feeling of the '80s sex romp comedy yes. that that doesn't feel like it exists in the '70s yeah. at all, and it doesn't feel like it exists in the '90s. It really does feel confined to this one era. Yeah. And I've been I've been watching a lot of. I know. Lately. I hear you've been doing your research. Yeah, and. <laughs> The less said, the better. So <laughs> let's get into let's. Uh, there's something about this film. I think that it, its legacy has been its problematic elements. I think that's yeah. what people know it most for is just how wildly disrespectful it is of of people. How inappropriate yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very, very much. So what I wanted to do, I want us to be able to talk about you know what works and what doesn't work. And there's no way to talk about this film without uh, addressing the problematic things. Uh, so I want to kind of power through those so we can talk about literally everything else. Cause I feel for like sure. that stuff is so well covered at this point. There's no way for us to add much to the dialogue, right? but it's so 
dominant. It, it hangs so heavy over the yeah. film that if we don't talk about it at all, we're kind of like not doing our yeah. jobs. Right. So I agree. And we want to talk about things that um, might be relevant to screenwriters and filmmakers. So let's let's get the problematic stuff out yeah. of the way and then talk about the story. Yeah. Like uh, if you're an aspiring screenwriter or filmmaker, you know, the panty raids, they don't <laughs> they might not work these days. Putting <laughs> cameras in the girls dorm house yes. might not work these days. Agreed. What, what, uh, what jumped out for you in this um, film? As being problematic. Yeah. Pretending to be somebody in order to have sex with somebody that that's probably not going to fly today. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty big gamble he took. <laughs> right. Uh, it worked because he's been written to have it work. Right. But I right. don't think that flies. Yeah. Can we get your female perspective <laughs> on this? Yeah. I'm just going to say all of those things. Not OK. Uh, probably not going to work in a script these days. You're unless you're intentionally trying to be really offensive to people. Um, also. Uh, a few, the few of the racial jokes were a little bit too much. I'm going to say, um, just stereotypes, you know, yep, things yep, like yep, that. Yep. So, but that's what this movie does. Look, it makes a lot of stereotypes, right? It's an '80s comedy. You're not getting out of the woods without broad stereotypes. Right. We got the Asian character in there. Right. We got the the, the African Americans yep. in there. Yep. They're just they're. It's called Revenge of the Nerds. It's right. not going to be a nuanced dissection of, of right. society. <laughs> you know, the one area that you might expect, you might have expected them to go very uh, hard on the jokes in an inappropriate way mm-hmm. was with the one gay character. And that was the one area they almost totally steered clear of, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, I'm not sure why they decided not to be offensive in that area, too. Yeah. But Yeah, well, I... The, 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 we're, we're going to open up a question is like, does it count as offensive if it wasn't offensive then? Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, like there, there are two ways you can watch this. You can watch this as a film that it can be judged by today's standards, or you can kind of watch it not as a narrative, but as a documentary of what was going on in the, sure. in the zeitgeist at the time. Good point. And I think we might have a little bit more, we, there might be more meat on the bones of a documentary than there are right. on the bones of a narrative film. Yeah, but let's let's chase them both down. Well, yeah, I was going to say let's just let's just accept that there are a lot of problematic things in this movie and talk about the story and what works and doesn't okay. work in the story. So, what did you find that was perhaps something that could be instructive to somebody who might be writing a screenplay? Uh, oh, uh, I would say that underdogs, marginalized characters, you kind of get the audience rooting for them for free. Yeah, and. Um, why would that be? Well, I think they reveal it in the third act because we all feel like we're on the fringe. We all feel like we're marginalized. And uh, I was rooting for the nerds. Yeah, totally. I think that's a really good point. The Even even watching it today and with some of the behaviors that they, they're given, right, that are problematic behaviors, yeah. you're still... It, you're still rooting for those characters. You're still rooting for the nerds because they are set up to be underdog characters. Um, if you think about it, really, there isn't much at stake in this movie other than their sort of well-being on campus and acceptance, right? Social acceptance. And that's kind of enough for this movie. I mean, yeah. it is a comedy, um, so the stakes don't have to be super high, but just the fact that they are mistreated right away. They're they're branded nerds and they're humiliated right away and it gets us on their side. Yes. And I think it helps that they are all 
comfortable in their own skin. They're not comfortable in the world,、mm-hmm. but they're comfortable as they are. Like they they like being themselves and existing in the world in the way that they exist. And I think that helps get us on their side. I yeah, could be, could yeah, be I agree. I agree. And each of those characters, like you were saying, they. Are comfortable with themselves, and they each sort of have their own specialty, which was,、yes. you know, for as as broad strokes as they were painted in, it was nice to see that they each had a little bit of a unique personality. They weren't sort of all pocket protectors and,、um, you know, tape around their their yeah, glasses and yeah, stuff like that.、Yeah. Right? They were they were individuals. That was what confused me when I was a kid. I thought Booger was cool. I didn't understand why he was in the nerd house,、right. and he does. I don't know. Is he a little too cool for? You know, what, what made him a nerd? I guess I guess they decided that he was an outcast because he's just sort of gross, right?、Mm-hmm. I mean, a guy who's named Booger. Yeah, <laughs> Come on. Yeah. But、um, but he did kind of serve the function in the story of being a little bit of the inside man for the nerds. Like he kind of created a bridge, giving them some knowledge that they wouldn't have had, right?、Mm-hmm. So he did have a really it, it was good planning on their part to give them that. That sort of access to information they wouldn't have had through that character. Yeah, yeah, he was. I, I guess、uh, he he was like the god Bacchus. <laughs> sure. Speaking to them. There you go. Yes. Nerdy Bacchus. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what What did you What did you What did you like? What do you think hit a home run in this film? Um. Well, let's. Let's just say home run might be stretching. Overplaying <laughs> our hands.、Right. Sure. What do you think got a single, or at least <laughs>、sure. a, uh, maybe a double?、Uh, I do think something that we can learn from this movie,、um, just in terms of like learning how to make our own stories better, right?、Mm-hmm. Is it, it's interesting to look at this movie from the point of view of、um, the character arc because. Typically, screenwriters are told like you have to have a main character who changes, right? That's what we're going to see the movie for. Is we want to see how that character deals with this situation and comes out a changed person. In this movie, the char- the the main characters, the nerds, didn't change. They changed the world around them. So it was very much a.、Um, You know, in fitting with the theme of the story, which is about acceptance and how everyone feels a little bit marginalized, and how we all need to just accept each other, right? Which was a good takeaway for the movie.、Um, the the fact that they didn't actually give the main characters a character arc totally aligns with that because you know the movie is saying to you, these characters they might be oddballs, but they aren't the ones who need to change. Everyone else needs to. Accept them and accept themselves, and we all need to accept each other. So I thought that that actually worked really well. And、um, you know, if you are writing a movie where your underdog characters are, you know, are not the people who need to change their behavior or change their worldview, I think that's okay. There's a way to do that, and sometimes that's the right choice in not making your main character change just because, you know, a, a screenwriting book told you they have to. I couldn't agree more. And every time I pitch anything, one of the first questions is, "So, what's your main character's flaw? Like, how is、mm. he? Where is he coming up short? What's he? How's he going to be better at the end?" And I did, I I did like that. This story, like I said, it was about people who were comfortable in their own skins, and and I, it's it is good to see representation matters. <laughs> yes, there you go. Now they they did give you a little bit. I won't call this a flaw for the characters,、um, but they did. Show you that initially they were less likely to stand up for themselves. So,、mm-hmm. 
so they did sort of grow over the course of the movie, but they didn't have a change in worldview necessarily, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. which is usually what we kind of like look for in the transformation of the character. They became a little bit more comfortable in the world, and the world became a little bit more comfortable yeah. with them. They kind of claimed their space in the world, yeah. which is which is good, and which I I will say reminded me of the movie Hidden Figures. I'll just put it out there. They're not exactly alike. (laughs) Honestly, as I was watching this, I kept like having to double check the case to make sure I wasn't watching Hidden Figures because it was so, so so very similar. similar. Can you, can you explore that a little bit? Can we, can we (laughs) give, give a couple of minutes to to the similarities we saw? So, so Hidden Figures, uh, if you're not familiar with the movie, it's about the um, female NASA engineers in the 1960s, 50s or 60s. I can't remember the year that it takes place. Uh, there, It's specifically about three African-American female NASA engineers. Um, they start out as what's called calculators. They're, they're mathematicians. Um, and then over the course of the movie, they sort of not... Unlike the nerds, they claim their space in the movie. They don't change. They change the world around them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they they gain acceptance in the movie. And so in that way, I was comparing the two, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the two movies. Nothing else about them is similar. That's fair. But it, it, I think it's a good comparison, and I think it is good to study. At least, you know, if you, if you find something good in here, find it, uh, more more yeah. evidence to support your argument. There you go. So that, because you know, there is always, there is that addiction to how does the character change? What's the arc? What is right. their fundamental flaw at the beginning, and how do they address it in the third act? What, how right. do we see that growth? And there are people who act like you don't have a film if you don't have that, but you, you can. Right. There's, I'm going to go off, I'm uh, Put put the clock on because I don't okay. want to waste too much time with this. But there's always the question of what does the main character want, mm-hmm. and if you ever want to see something beautiful about a main character who, without an answer to that, watch the pilot for My So Called Life. Oh, okay. She's a young. She's just entering adolescence, and the whole pilot, she doesn't know who she is or what she wants, mm-hmm. and it's really beautiful to mm-hmm. see a character to see that exploration of a character who doesn't want something who has no motivation whatsoever uh so to see a film like this where they they don't have the fundamental flaw let's let's explore how that could play out in a tricycle beer race (laughs) well i think it comes back to really knowing what story it is you're telling right Uh, you know this film knows what it is well and and i will say you know if you look at the story it's not okay what this story is about is about a group of people who are finding their place in the world. Right. And it's not because they need to change. It's a, it's about acceptance overall. Mm -hmm. So knowing that then you can write this, the version of this that doesn't require you to give your characters like some weird or, you know, unrelated character flaw just so they can change. Yeah. So I think that's a good lesson to take away. Do you imagine if this was written now, each one of the nerds would have a character flaw shoehorned in that we'd have to see resolved over the course of 90 minutes? Maybe. It depends on who, who was developing the movie, what kind of notes well, they were getting. I, I, I think, you know, like I wouldn't have missed the scene where he's doing that computer monologue about how beautiful computers are and mm-hmm. how you can imagine anything. And then like I could have traded that for yeah. character arc. For sure. <laughs> if somebody said, no, you drop those and put in these, yeah. I, I would not have a, 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 a good argument. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think that scene was you're talking about the scene where he animates the two yeah, characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that that was intended to be the, the meet cute mm-hmm. for those two characters. And it wasn't a particular, 
particularly effective one for me, but you know, well, that's fine. Let's 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 explore what didn't work about that me cute is for me is that they had no idea what computers were, how they worked, or how you <laughs> yeah. interact with them. Yeah, and totally. if that doesn't work, then there's no right. the whole scene was based on that. Sure. So it's like in, in in any other 80s movie when they hack. Right. And it the way they show hacking is bananas. Yeah. That it it, yeah. it, un, it undermines. Yes. Now, you know, there were a lot of scenes in this movie that that felt fine to me. They felt mm-hmm. like, okay, I get, I see what they're trying to do, but they weren't necessarily what I would think would be maybe the best way to do that scene. Um, another, another good thing I think that they did in this movie though, was not worrying about giving you a bunch of information you didn't need. Like, okay, they could have had a more realistic computer scene. Sure. Do we really need any more detail about the way computers yeah. work? No. No, no, no. But the- <laughs> They could have had a better meet cute. Sure, they could. They definitely could have had a better meet cute. Another thing, I mean, in line with that though, um, of their sort of efficiency, they they totally you know skimmed over the fact that um, rush week is typically a week, not one night, right? Mm-hmm. And I I feel like any other version of this movie would have had like a whole sequence where they're showing all the nerds rushing fraternities and not getting in. We don't need that for this. We just need to know they didn't get into a fraternity. Yeah. They they give it one more try. They it, it keeps us focused on the conflict between our two main nerds and our main jocks, right? So we don't have to see a bunch of other fraternities. We just see these yeah. this yeah, yeah. house. And then we very quickly see the nerds have been humiliated. They have to find a new place to live. So it's a really efficient setup, I think, which is another thing we can learn. Yes. Yeah, no, it was a very efficient it was very efficient at the top. That there was something. There was something that. Can I say something specific that gets under my skin sure. that they didn't do? Okay. Okay. End of Adam's family too. Oh, uh, so not even about this movie. <laughs> oh, no, we'll get there. Okay. We'll get back to it. Got it. So at the end of Adam's family too, um, Uncle Fester falls in love with a girl, and he falls in love with her because she looks just like him. She's bald and she wears the black clothing. And uh, Wayne's World too. Garth falls in love with a girl because she has blonde hair and bangs and the same glasses as him. Okay. I think this is like just the, the lamest conceit. I've never seen this work except in Revenge of the Nerds when it, it was the Mr. Meet Cute and Miss Meet Cute when they're sitting at the party and they exchange their glasses. Yeah. That was the first time I've seen like a, hey, we're the same because we wear the same thing joke. Yeah. And it felt like that was the Meet Cute for me. That was when I was like, oh, come on, you guys. I'm rooting yeah. for you now. That actually was a really cute moment, I mm-hmm. have to say. So you can always save it no matter how dumb your computer <laughs> Meet Cute is. You can, you can pull it back. Yeah. What, 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 let's, can we talk about the third act? Sure. And what, what would you works like to and, talk about? I'd like to talk about what works and what doesn't. And, um, you know, what, what works mm-hmm. is the, the final message of the film. Mm-hmm. We are all on the fringe. We are all nerds in our own ways. Some of us do it secretly and some of us do it openly, but we all exist on the fringe. We've all felt marginalized. Right. And then when they make that declaration in the extended monologue over a loudspeaker, the I learned something today speech that nobody, nobody would have any reason to go silent and listen to. But in movies, they do. Right. Uh, they, they all step forward and say, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with mm-hmm. you. That, I liked that a lot. Um, anything other than that that you like? No, I mean, I'll add to that and say it was nicely done. I think that, um, it wasn't just that all the nerds felt validated. They gave everyone in the movie an opportunity to say, just because you might not see me as an outcast, doesn't mean I haven't felt out of place at times. Right. Which is, which is a nice message. So I, 
I agree. I like the message. I think they, they did that well. Pretty much everything else I'm going to, I'm going to say <laughs> fine. It was fine. <laughs> That's the problem with movies that are fine is like there's not that much to say except that it was just fine. What they did well, though, is they did exploit the idea, even if they made a lot of this up, they did exploit the idea of fraternities on a campus. Right. Mm -hmm. And and kind of the, you know, the wild university life. They Mm -hmm. they did a good job of playing in that sandbox. Right. I can. mm. You know what else they did good in the third act with that everybody's been marginalized is that they set it up very early. I think the only reason Lambda 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 went in with the nerds was because he had also been marginalized his whole life. Like he saw himself in them, not the cool, calm, collected controller of the room. That's not what he saw in the nerds, but he did Mm -hmm. see the, the outcast that did you recognize him? Who, the head of the of Lambda Lambda Lambda? Yeah, the no. history teacher from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> I did not make that connection. There you go. He is, he is a, a cool African-American academic, according to the 80s, okay. and that's all he is. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> who exerts his, his bassy voice power right. over the, the, right. the dopes in his classes. <laughs> I, I thought, um, you know, aligning them with that fraternity could have gone very wrong, but they actually did a nice job of incorporating kind of the theme of the movie, right? Of the acceptance theme, using that to kind of uh, portray that relationship between the Lambda, Lambda, Lambda organization and, and the nerd chapter, right? It could have, I guess it's just that looking back on this movie now, I feel like they could have made so many more bad jokes and instead they, they refrained in they certain ways. They were really light on their work. Of course, there are some gay jokes. Sure. Not that many. Way fewer than I expected. Yeah. And there are, like, in the third act, the the, the black men come in yes, and put all those jocks <laughs> in their place just with their cool, stoic right. presence. Yes, I know. When that happened, I was like, wow, that's really, that's really not something you would see today or shouldn't see today. But there you go. Yes. How much, we've, how much we've grown since the 80s. I hope. I can't wait till we grow more. I don't yeah. feel like we're all good quite no. yet, but no. I feel like we would not, we would do that scene differently. The Asians still get kicked to the curb repeatedly in totally. this. I. Was it just hilarious that L's and R's could get mixed up? Right. Is that that the, like the zenith of comedy in I the eighties? No, I mean when I so the all all of those jokes in the movie, I was sort of thinking, was this the first time that joke was made? Because I feel like that's the only that's the only way that somebody could think that was a good idea if it was like nobody has ever heard this joke and it's hilarious, right? Rewatch the Breakfast Club. Oh right, yeah. I think it's Getty Watanabe. He yeah. just. I mean, he's funny. Like the guy, the actor is actually very funny. Wait, Breakfast Club or? Wait, was it? Would, Pretty in Pink or 16 oh, Candles. 16, 16 Candles. 16 Candles. That's yeah. the one. That's the one yeah. where, where Getty Watanabe. Yeah. The, like he's actually really charismatic and really mm-hmm. funny and I like his performance, but boy, oh boy, is that not a. Yeah. Um, not a PC movie. There, I'm going out on a limb and I might get in trouble for this. I do think this is, uh, I probably, Okay. Christmas story. When they go to the Chinese restaurant and they're singing fa la 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 the Chinese... I've never seen it. Okay. <laughs> then never mind. <laughs> Retreat. Uh, uh, it's gonna... Why? Why was this so funny? Just steamrolling... I don't know, but... Asians. We just have to say, okay, it's that was a time when that was more accepted and and... 
that's what we can learn from the movie, maybe, is uh, fewer of those jokes. How about that? Do you think we're doing better? I mean, really? You know, I think what becomes acceptable to make fun of shifts over time Mm -hmm. and it's shifted to different things. It doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it okay, but there are always groups of people that are, that get made fun of, you know? And, um, I guess that's, that's the story of it. Do you feel like this is something I see sometimes and I'm very excited about is the new generations of comedians seem to lean more on absurdity than anything else. Mm. And I feel like they get, you can get really good laughs without any one being the butt of the joke, just that it's, it's abs- the, the situations are absolutely bananas. Yeah. I'm pleased by that. Have you seen, uh, have you seen, uh, Nanette? Nanette? Hannah Gadsby's comedy special. No, I have not. You have to watch it. It's so good. You will totally appreciate the message, which, uh, she, she very specifically says I'm, I'm through making those kinds of jokes because, uh, about herself. You aren't the first person to recommend this to me. I'm sure I'm not because you... everyone has watched it now except oh. you. <laughs> well, see, now I feel marginalized. <laughs> I'm marginalizing you because you have not stayed up on your Netflix watching. I don't even have Netflix. Oh, well, then that's a problem. You're not yeah. going to be able to watch this. <laughs> you just keep marginalizing me. <laughs> I can't believe this. I'm, I'm out. I'm I recommend out. you getting a free 30 day trial just, just to, to watch, watch this. Net- it's I, worth it. That's what I've. And yeah. Not even like, hey, you should check it out. It's like, Jesse, this is specifically the thing that you would like. It is like it was written for you to enjoy. I think, That's how- yeah, I mean, I think the the humor in it is great. The message in it is great. Or the performance is great. I can't recommend it highly enough. You heard it here fo- first, folks, between Revenge of the Nerds and <laughs> Nanette. Revenge of the Nerds is not the hottest product on the shelf. <laughs> So I think we've we've beaten Revenge of the Nerds I know, there's down. So, it's threadbare. The story yeah. is threadbare. There's not that much you can do. Is it time to move on to I the pitch? I think it is, yeah. All right, then let's get ready for... The Pitch. Excellent. All right, so uh, the title. We're going to go from best to worst. So first I'm going to give you the title, which is the best. Then I'm going to give you the high concept pitch, which is a little less solid. Then we'll go to the log line, which is still yet even less solid. And then we'll do as, as broad a synopsis as we can. Okay? okay, perfect. Title, you ready? I'm ready. Boogie Down Beach House, USA. <laughs> nice. Okay. Tell me you don't love it already. I do. I do love it. Okay. Then let's, I'm getting out here. If, if I got a <laughs> yes, I'm shutting the meeting down before I get a no. Okay. Um, so what, what kind of what it is, like imagine... These 80s sex comedies. Imagine this gang got stuck in the hashtag woke generation. And how would they navigate that environment? How would that shake out for for the eponymous Boogie Down Beach House USA? Okay. Which is its address also. Okay. Okay. So the, the premise is, um, can we call him Jackie? Sure. The main character. I don't have names. Names come late in the game for me, but we'll call him Jackie. Jackie is the the leader of the Boogie Down Beach House USA, which is, you know, the biggest party house to ever have come across these these parts. Okay. Um, they are a straight, his gang is straight up 80s sex comedy type people. Like, uh, you know, upside down beer bongs and panty raids and all the all the shenanigans that you know. Uh, then they lose Boogie Down Beach House, 
and they have to get it back, but they can't do it through the old ways. They have to do it through, you know, understanding the law and how houses get foreclosed or things like that. Then they go to, you know, they have to go to court okay. and defend the house. Do you want the full pitch? Are you getting, yeah, the, you're getting no, no, kind no. of the, the vague idea of what yeah, it is? I, I, I think I see where you're going. I'm curious to hear more. All right. So don't have many specifics. Okay. Uh, the way we see it. Now, I'd, I got to give a shout out. Is that okay? Yeah, please. Alan Van Dyke, thank you for workshopping this with me right before this recording. Alan, I'm coming for you later. <laughs> Here's the thing. Okay, we did that pilot last week mm-hmm. and you intimidated me. Oh, I'm sorry. That's No, that's good. <laughs> and I realized like I can't, I can't huff and puff and bullshit my way through this. I need to start doing a little bit more homework. Um, so I'm going to try to elevate to your level. If I don't make it, forgive me, but give me a little bit of time to get up to where you're at. Uh, so I did, I did meet with a friend of mine just to bat around some ideas on this. Well, let me just say though, that the whole point of pitching is to get feedback, right? So you don't have to have a perfect pitch. Oh, okay. You're, you, you know that the pilot's not going out, so you're being overly generous. (laughs) I was a fish flopping around no, on a concrete no, slab last week. that's not true. <laughs> so boogie down, Beaker Childs USA. Um, basically, the idea we the, the idea is they've got this house, they've owned the house, um, and then these developers come in, mm-hmm. and they are they've got their they want to gentrify. And they actually want Boogie Down Beach House USA, but of course Jackie's not selling. Why would he? This is this is where he you know, grew up, this is his high school, this is his college, and now he's in his mid-30s. This is his whole life. He's not giving it up to some gentrification mongers. Um, but what happens is because they already start building, uh, the, the land value goes up higher than the property taxes that they could ever hope to afford. These, mm-hmm. these party animals who have owned the house since, you know, they, they got it in the 50s or 60s sure. when property bought it for the change they found in the seats of their car that they drove out to the West Coast on, something like that. So now they can't afford the house anymore. So they, uh, the first plan is to to uh, uh, humiliate the the gentrifiers, you know, by like uh, snapping pics of their girlfriends naked or. Uh, s- splashing water on them at the big meeting or whatever it, you know, just these sure. usual, which doesn't work. Uh, but then they get a friend who comes in and says, no, 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 you can't do that anymore. This is not how we engage with people. What we're going to do is study the law. We're going to learn how to put like a, uh, whatever the house version is of a stay of execution so uh-huh. that it can't get foreclosed or reclaimed or torn down or whatever it is. And we're going to fight this thing and we're going to fight it properly. And we're going to learn how to fight. We're going to learn how to go to court and we're going to learn how to play the game and how to talk to politicians and how to get the mayor on your side and have a good word in from this lawyer who's a buddy of it, whatever it is, however, the, however the machinations work. Uh, wouldn't you know it? Here we are in the middle of act two and it worked. Good Lord. Isn't that fantastic? Wow, okay. The movie's not over though. <laughs> so they've got Boogie Down Beach House. And it's theirs now. They don't have to worry about the property tax, whatever it is. Uh, they hold the biggest bacchanal in the history of Boogie Down Beach House USA. Um, some type of plot device where the sheriff hates them or the dean. Uh, they don't go to school, but there could be very well be a dean who hates them. The local dean. The local okay. dean, yes. Uh, he, uh, you know, he like knows how bad they're going to party, so he he pays for the liquor himself and they get completely out of control and the building has to be condemned. So they, they, it looks like they're actually going to lose boogie down beach house for good, that there's no options left. So they go on this party spiral and down and down and down they go. Um, 
then in the third act they have a concert on the beach for no reason other than that it's a the movie's called Boogie Down Beach House USA. There's going to be a concert on the beach. Got it. You're not getting away. You're not getting out of this without a concert. It could go in the second act. Anyway, the final conclusion is they uh, use the money that they raise at the concert to do the paperwork, not to save the house for themselves, but to donate it to charity. And it becomes the party house for the entire community. And that that's the, the solution. Does any of this make any sense? <laughs> so a lot of it makes sense, but I, I would just like to comment on the last thing you said, which is, so they donate the house to charity, and the charity apparently is partying for the neighborhood. Yes. I've never heard of this charity, but that's excellent. <laughs> well, it could be one that they form so that they, like, if, if they're a, a nonprofit, then they don't have to pay the taxes on right. the property and there they get to go. keep it. Or it could be something like for underprivileged youth that yes. this could be like a summer camp getaway where they, you know, the kids learn how to boogie yes. board, they yes. go down to the beach, they get some I totally know what you, supplemental, what you mean. I just think that that was a that funny... A, a party charity. <laughs> yes. They donated to charity, which is partying. <laughs> <laughs> because partiers need charity. Yes. Uh, there is a community demand for partying. Yes. And any politician that doesn't go on a, on a platform of party hardy Marty is not getting... Uh, okay, well, so a couple of things. I will say, since we're talking about the end, let's continue talking about the end. And I do think if you... Um, First of all, before yeah. we get into any of that... Sure. Do I feel better prepared than last yes. week? Okay. Yes, you do. That's all I needed. I, I mean, but, are, but is it prepared or this story is just much more developed? And, and it's okay if you have a story idea that's not fully developed and you want to pitch it to get feedback. So don't. Just so you know, I didn't develop this. I stole this from all the movies I've been watching. <laughs> that makes sense. I understand. Um, I do think that there's something here and it, it actually reminds me. I know you're um, paying homage to those 80s sexploitation comedies, yes. but there's actually, I think, something about it that also feels a lot like um, early 2000s, I mm-hmm. want to say, um, with, uh, what was that movie, Role Models? Do you remember that Paul Rudd movie, I think it was? Um, movies like that, or even I Love You, Man. Like that type of comedy, this feels a little bit like it could go in that direction to me. Um, what I wanted to say about the ending is I act, I really like that idea that they come around to wanting to donate the house, right? After mm-hmm. fighting so hard for it, for that to be the outcome, I think is very satisfying. And it's um, not something that we, I'm, I'm not saying it's expected, like it's expected and that's a bad thing. I just mean it feels like a good sort of satisfying you know, resolution to it, right? Because we don't want to see them save their house just for the sake of saving their house. We want to see them learn and grow and then save their house as they wanted to, but then to do something bigger with it, right? So I like that ending. I think um, an idea for you, and you can feel free to throw this away, if you, since we were talking about character arcs earlier, if you do give Jackie, your main Mm -hmm. character, the arc of sort of needing to grow up, because it feels like that's kind of what's in your story already. He's a little bit holding on to his party days. He's in his thirties, but he hasn't grown out of his college phase or whatever. If his arc is that he needs to sort of grow up and become an adult. And then he ends up giving his house to a children's charity. Like you were saying, like a boys and girls club or something like that, Mm -hmm. that feels like it all goes together nicely. Right. Um, so you're tying your theme into the, the way, you know, the character arc and the, the plot. So, and I think kind of the, the, the feeling, the, the, 
thesis that he lands on is that, and when I say thesis, I mean like the, you know, the, the line of your college, not, I'm not talking save the cat mm-hmm, thesis sure. and antithesis, yeah. antithesis. Uh, I think that it, he comes to realize that like, it's only a party if everyone's invited. Mm, that's nice. That's, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah. Okay. So there is a lot that I do like about the idea. I think one of the questions that I had going back to the beginning of it, I think you have a, you have a good setup. It's clear. Mm-hmm. I understand what's happening. He has his prized possession of the house. That's his whole life, his identity. Everything is in this house. He's going to lose it. He has to figure out how to not lose it. Right. Um, to me, it feels like that first half of act two where he's, where he is, Starting the courtroom out, courtroom drama. Well, yes. Or? So, yes. so at the beginning of Act Two, is that the section where he's starting to do it the wrong way, and then he figures out we have to do it legally? Would you call would, that in that section? I would say the decision to do it like a grown-up mm-hmm. is the break into Act Two. Okay. When when okay. he says like we're going to do this the right way for the first time in our lives, we're going to try to right. play the rule, the game by their rules. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So so that's like the first half of Act Two. I'm less clear on what's actually happening in that section. Okay. Um, that's as fair, far as far as I am too. <laughs> no, just as far as like the the quality of the action that you described to me feels tonally very different than the rest of the movie. So I'm not saying it can't work. I just mean pay attention to that and mm-hmm. find ways that you can use like the personality of your main character that you've already established. So even though he's playing by their rules, he's still bringing himself to it. I think there's a lot of room for, because he's not just bringing himself, he's bringing the whole Boogie Down Beach House USA right. crew right. on this journey. Right. Like they're going into a library for the first time in their lives. Right. And they're going into a courthouse. They're going into lawyer meetings. So I think there is a lot of room for the fish out of water. Mm-hmm. Yucks. Yeah. Can we call them yucks? Sure. Is that okay? <laughs> that feels right. You don't you don't feel like I'm you know, lowering this story. I think yucks feels like an accurate description. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> um yeah, so I think that's good. So the character arc that you're that you're dealing with. So uh, here's another question actually for you is um Hit me. if his character arc is sort of somebody that is going through a process of growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Maturing a little bit over this. How does that tie into your idea of um it's only a party if everyone is involved? Is he excluding someone in the beginning? Is he an a party elitist? Is <laughs> I think he might be the one who considers it a slobs versus snobs universe mm. that he might be imprinting a lot of you know he might having been raised on films like these mm-hmm. he might think that that's how the world is but mm. i i yeah. i don't really believe that it's a slobs versus snobs world right no i like that though i think that that gives you that's a good opportunity to sort of reference the material that you're referencing right but but do it in a way that it plays into his character arc and the theme of your story. So I think that's good. He So he starts out being someone who kind of believes that the world is like it is in Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or but like, similar. Imagine if John Belu, like if somebody was actually going like, Toga, 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 right. in real life, you'd just be like, what the fuck is wrong? Right. Why would you? Right. <laughs> We're not putting sure. bed sheets on. Yes, but... Uh, Wait, okay, let's talk about your, your college days. Did that happen? No, 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 okay. no. I'm just saying, thinking about it in terms of your character, but like this is, where he starts out and where he needs yeah, to go. Yeah, so he starts out thinking that that's the real world, that, right. that warped version of reality. Right. So you're going to walk a pretty fine line here with creating that character. I think that's a funny character, right? Like this concept of your character is funny. I think the fine line that you'll need to walk is making sure that he's not 
the jock from Revenge of the Nerds. You know what I mean? Like that he's not the nightmare. Yeah. That, really. he, that like, he's not just like a total douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, there's, yeah. there's, and I don't think you have to have a main character who's likable. Like that's not, that's not a hard and fast rule. Right. But give us something about him that is at least compelling, mm-hmm. uh, engaging in some way that helps us get on board with rooting for him. Because I think it, it is a little bit, um, you know, you are referencing these movies from the 80s. Uh, the setup is a little bit like it's a come up and story sort of, right? So so you are setting him up to take a fall. So all of those things, it'll they'll be funny, but just also make sure to work in something in there that makes us kind of get on his side or at least understand why this is so important to him, you know, so that we're rooting for him a little bit. The way I, I see it in, in my imagination is at the beginning, it's not really... Like his his worldview isn't questioned. We see it through his eyes, like the mm-hmm. fun of the Boogie Down Beach House USA, the camaraderie there, mm-hmm. the the endless party lifestyle, the joy of it. Right. I, th- I do think, uh, like Wayne's world, Wayne loves his life, and I think the whole movie hinges on him just being like over the moon that mm-hmm. he gets to do this public access show, and he drives to a burger joint on a Friday night, and seven people recognize, like just his his. Joy is so tangible in that opening act that the yeah. whole, the rest of the movie coasts, not coasts, but it floats on that, that setup. Yeah. So maybe like leaning on that type yeah. of character a yeah. little bit. I think that's a good approach for it. So he, and, and this is, I think another reason why this, this particular pitch feels a little bit like that early 20 or early 2000s mm-hmm. kind of movie. It feels like Elf, right? It's that one I haven't seen. And every what? time I see, how have you not seen Elf? I, I feel know, like I've, you live Elf. This is like your, your life. I'm going to, I'm going to watch Elf tonight <laughs> and then see how you see me through that film. This is going to be great. Uh, it's one. Every time I have a chance to see it, I think, why haven't I watched that yet? And then yeah. I think I'll get to it later. Yeah. It's, uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. I, I love Will Ferrell. Here's the thing. I didn't come up with this sentence, but uh, Will Ferrell, you're guaranteed at least one belly laugh in any film he's ever made. Like you're going to get something. Yeah. And, you know, I think Elf is a really good movie. I think you will really enjoy it. I will check it out tonight. Between <laughs> um, Okay. Between that and Nanette, which would you say is the priority? Oh, well, Nanette is just superior material that you should consume right away. But I do think Elf, like if you're studying movies and the reason that I, that I brought Elf up is because it does remind me of the pitch that you just mm-hmm. gave uh, Boogie Down Beach House USA, because you have a character that's so, um, so not, absurd is the wrong word, but they're so distinctly living in their own kind of point of view yeah. and living in their own world. And they are a weird character in our real world, right? Outside of the context of 80s sex comedies, these are absurd. Right. They, these behaviors are completely absurd. Within the context of that genre, they're completely normal. It's the most right. average person right. in these films. Right. So that's why it reminds me of, of Elf. Uh, okay. That was the connection there. So, so. basically your, your final call was uh, watch Nanette as soon as possible and Elf first. <laughs> Yes, there you go. Got it. <laughs> Interpret it however you want. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll try to do the math after we're done. Um, but yeah, I think you're. I think you are much more prepared this week. Your pitch holds up. I feel like you have a, a beginning, middle, and end. I can see the big picture mm-hmm. sort of arc of your story. So that's good. I think um, the as I mentioned before, I think the one area that's a little bit squishy to me just mm-hmm. just making sure that it kind of tonally fits with everything else. Is that like, we're going to fight this legally kind of thing. But I don't, I don't think that that's, 
necessarily wrong or bad or something that you should abandon. I just think um, finding those situations that allow you to keep it flowing with the yeah. rest of your story yeah. um, while still keeping that idea of, okay, now we're playing by the the rest of the world's rules. That's good. I think kind of the trick I'm trying to build here is that if you were to only watch act one, mm-hmm. you would think that it was a completely standard 80s sex comedy. Mm-hmm. And then when act two hits, like we kind of flip the whole thing upside down. And then after the second half of act two, we kind of go back and start like unfolding both of those origami boxes mm-hmm. at the same time until we get to the end of act three mm-hmm. when uh, it ends very much like any other 80s film. Yeah, <laughs> so well, I mean, so by the end of Act 3, it actually feels, I think, a, yeah, I guess like some 80s movies. I think, to me, what it feels like is sort of Act 1, very much like the 80s movies. Like uh, The idea is complete pastiche, dead ringer. Right. That it's, these snobs aren't going to kick us out of Boogie Down Beach House, USA. Right, and then this they're sort of... This is where you lost your virginity. <laughs> you, you had your first beer. We're not taking this sitting down. Right. Like, you know, completely right. one-to-one. And then, they're, and then they're thrust into the real world, sort of, in yeah. Act 2, right? Mm-hmm. And then they try to kind of... Play by the man's they rules. They try to play by the man's rules, but then once they win by the man's rules, they kind of try to reclaim yeah. their old way of life yep. and learn that they can't really do that, right? It doesn't yeah. work out yeah, for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in the end, they realize they don't want to play, or they don't want to necessarily hold on to their old way of life. They've learned, they've grown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They and you it. have your main character, Jackie. I'm assuming you've thought of some supporting characters as well. Uh, yes, but they all just have fake nicknames. Like, <laughs> That's fine. Like, just that are generic versions right. of Revenge of the Nerds, like Mucus or whatever. <laughs> That's excellent. Uh, now here's, here's one last thing for you to think of in just... Um, Why only one last thing? This Why is all I have for you. Oh, all okay. I have for you. So, so solid. <laughs> one last thing for you to consider yes. as you're building your story, right, is... Um, you mentioned the local dean or sheriff yes. of some sort. <laughs> we we stumbled on that idea of the local dean at sure. lunch. <laughs> sure. So that could very well work. I think that, that that's funny. It's a funny reference to your 80s movies, whatever. My point that I think you should consider is how early in the movie you can bring him in and make him the antagonist because otherwise you don't have an antagonist in that first half of act two. You just have the man, right? So putting a face on it and if you can make it the same face that they will eventually have to face later, that is good, right? Do you think it would be funny if his name was just Dean and they didn't really understand that there's a difference between the Dean and the guy named Dean? (laughs) They just assume that he's the enemy. Yeah. Why Why is Dean being such a jerk, right? I mean... The Dean is always trying to keep us down. (laughs) I think it would be funny if they thought he was the Dean. Yeah. And and instead he's actually, he's just a guy named Dean. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But he would hate them just like because they'd be making his life hell. Right. Because he's the Dean. Right. And they need to put him, but he's like, yeah. Yeah, there you you go. You get it. Yeah, I think you have something there to work with. It's a good one. I think it's, I think there's, there's some interesting, so I'd, as I watch these 80s films, Mm -hmm. They're not all terrible. Most of them are <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Can I proselytize for a moment? Sure. I, I, and I've tried to look this one up, and apparently it's terrible, but I didn't feel that way when I was watching it. The Legend of Billy Jean. If there's anyone out there who has seen this film and enjoyed it, please don't be shy. Write in. Give us a holler. Give us a hoot and a holler, and, uh, and, and I'll say thank you, because I liked it a lot. I have not seen it. Um, you did not name my favorite 80s movie. Which one? 
girls just want to have fun. They're, they made a movie. It's about a that? classic. So is that based on the song or the other way around? Uh, I think they use the song in the movie, but it's not, it's not tied to the song in any way other than that. When did you grow up? In the nineties. Okay. I just go back and watch a lot of eighties movies. No, I gotta get, I gotta tell, I gotta interview somebody who was a teenager in the eighties because my head is getting really warped by these films. Like I have no idea what reality was in that era. I think we can look at the state of the world right now and say, this is the product of people who grew up on movies in the eighties. That's a chilling thought. (laughs) Jeez. That's really bleak. It really is. But no, as I watch these time and again, these, these men sneak into girls showers so they can want (laughs) <laughs> Thank you wow. for ruining my afternoon. <laughs> We've just cracked it. This is the problem. Please. Uh, future generations, do not watch these films. Just put them in the archive, <laughs> put them in the vault, only get them out when you're when you're 40 or older. Yes. Because you can't handle it. The human brain can't handle this nonsense. Uh, I'll say one last thing about your pitch. I do okay. think um, it is just such a wacky concept to, to really pay homage to the movies of the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, you are kind of almost paying homage to all comedies like leading up to now because you have so many things that to me do feel kind of like referential to comedies in the early 2000s as well. Um, I think it's a good vehicle for your wacky sense of humor. So if you write Aww. it well, it could be a good like voicey kind of piece. You so. think I have a sense of humor. That's so sweet of you. You warm the cuckolds of my heart. It does. The more time I spend with this one, the more it feels like it just feels like a comfortable place that I'm sitting in. Yeah. And I do think like we're getting we're in a very unique era. I think I'm going to get really heady and then we'll we'll let you all go Um, (laughs) that we the the generation I, I would put my generation in the category. We weren't raised on life. We were raised on media that was made by people who were raised on life. Mm. And then the next generation will be raised on media that was made by people who were raised on media. And it's another grim chilling thought. Like, what does that mean for the human psyche of the individual and also of the society? But, you know, I'm going to say it's worth it to get to do these stupid ass jokes and (laughs) satirize (laughs) movies that nobody wants to watch anyway. Uh, And that was exactly my point. I think that your pitch is I can see how it's a great um, setup and a great arena for you to make a lot of jokes that you're going to find really funny. But I hope I hope to God I have enough humanity in me that you can see that there will, there's some yeah, emotion. In, absolutely. I hope I hope we can squeeze a little bit of humanity in between the lines. I have a quick question before before okay. we do you have anything special? Anything special? I think you texted me a couple of days ago saying that we should reserve the end of the show for something special from you. I have nothing special. I I wanted to tell you some trivia about the movie, but I couldn't find anything about Revenge of the Nerds that was interesting to me. So Uh, I looked up trivia. I was on set. I had nothing to do for half an hour. So I was reading Revenge of the Nerds trivia. You have missed nothing. <laughs> There's nothing have, interesting about this movie. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do for our listeners is uh, load up some of the trivia, just so you can you can you can understand how how mundane the trivia is in Revenge of the Nerds, um, and we'd be able to cut this little moment okay. here as I load it up. <laughs> it's kind of amazing how iconic Revenge of the Nerds has become as as a movie of the '80s. I think considering it was. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's like, it's, you know what I mean? It hits all the, it hits all the important points and it uses 
stereotypes to make a lot of jokes. And I guess that's, you know, that was the sort of appeal of it at the time. You know what joke actually I thought landed? I'm going to tell you there it's not, it shouldn't have, I, I should just me. shut up. It's, it's the one Lamar, he's throwing his javelin. <laughs> the one gay joke in the movie the is one, the one that you liked. <laughs> it's, but it, okay, here, I, here's why I liked it. I was so ready. I was at the edge of my seat. No, like, factually knowing that there were going to be very off-color, very offensive gay jokes throughout the whole film. Right. There were not. The one time they do a gay joke, it's that he had built a special javelin just to accommodate his limp wrist. Right. Which was close (laughs) enough to wordplay and far away enough from being flagrantly offensive that I, I... you know, I was like, yeah, just come on in. You're in the you're in the good right. joke side of the camp on this one. It was not the most offensive joke they could have made. You're right. No, no, and I I was convinced that we were gonna get yeah. not just one, but like a good twenty or thirty. Like they, yeah. they went hard on the Asian jokes. That yep. L to R was yep. a running gag throughout the thing. Yes. And that the one the one gay joke was just a little bit of wordplay right. in couched in a moment of glory. Right. That was kind of Lamar's shining moment yeah. in the film where he he did right by the whole by the whole fraternity. Yeah. I just felt like we dodged a very very large bullet. <laughs> yes, that's that true. That was moving very quickly. That's true. You ready for some trivia? Sure, go for um, it. you better you better all you listening at home dust off the edge of your seat cuz that's where you're going to be for the rest of this bit. Would you believe? <laughs> would you believe that Lamar's date at the party was a member of the crew. Wow. Thank you, IMDb, for that tidbit. (laughs) Hold on, there's more. Uh Uh-oh. In Spain, the film was translated as La Revencha de los Novatos. Novatos is freshmen because they didn't have Mm. a word for nerd. Oh, there are no Spanish nerds. It has since been introduced into the lexicon. (laughs) How's that edge of your seat doing? Yeah. I'm one more, one sure. Two, one more, because y'all are gonna fall over on the floor if you keep leaning forward so much. Because the script did not have much of a plot, many of the actors were allowed to ad lib. Huh? Would you believe that if I told shocker, you? Shocker! Shocker! Well, thank you, IMDb, for giving us that behind-the-scenes insight into how Revenge of the Nerds came to be the the modern-day uh, misappropriated classic that it is. <laughs> yes. All right. Naomi, thank you so much for joining. You know what? I'm just the sidekick. Why don't you do the wind down? I don't know what goes in the wind down. Jesse, thank you for joining me. You've been an awesome sidekick. Oh, thank you. And you've been a wonderful (laughs) co-host. Thank you. If people wanted to learn more about who you are as a human being and what you build and how you... Wait, here's the thing is, y'all heard what she... The magic she worked on my blathering gibberish she can work that same magic for you on your script go to the uh, website here yeah right and co w-r-i-t-e-a-n-d-c-o.com and 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 call on naomi to fix up your blathering gibberish <laughs> please do all right and i got nothing i got nothing i have nothing of value if you want a podcast come over to my house and we <laughs> do can it. do one we're good yeah we're good um here's the outro music Goodbye! <laughs> <laughs>